Welcome to One Man Brand Radio with Ray Sagern, the radio show for entrepreneurs and business owners, leaders, and dreamers. Learn more at newsradioklbj.com and onemanbrandradio.com. Now, here's Ray. All right, all right. It's One Man Brand Radio, back for another edition here on News Radio KLBJ. Voice of the Entrepreneur, we're here on KLBJ Saturdays. My guest this week is Shanghai Kate Hellenbrand. She's known as America's tattoo godmother for 40-plus years. A great story, great entrepreneurial advice to share this morning. Kate, thanks for being here on One Man Brand Radio. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure. So I guess just to dive right in, there's so much to talk about. I mean, throughout your long career and then how you ended up in Austin and advice for young entrepreneurs. But let's start with, I watched a copy of Tattoo Nation, which is a documentary about the history of tattooing in in America and and actually more. And you're featured quite prominently in that. But one of the things that I think your presentation at documentary kind of didn't hit on very deeply anyway, was how you got interested in tattooing. And before you kind of found yourself on the map all of a sudden. It explains that you were an art school grad and that, and that that was sort of your side way into tattooing. But what was your first fascination with tattooing and when did you know you wanted to be a tattoo artist? Well, my first fascination was my uncle visiting our farm when I grew up. He was a long distance truck driver and he had tattoos on his forearms and they looked to me like badges of freedom. And so I've always been innately curious about the world around me, and I've always had a hunger for travel. And so they were very interesting to me to see these black panthers and roses, and they didn't look like tattoos, they looked like badges to me that he had been on the highway. So then my grandmother, who was very uh, supportive of my curiosity, would take me to sideshows and carnivals. We didn't have television at that time. So this was the 40s. Where are we talking about? Utah. In Utah. Salt Lake City, Utah. Okay. And my grandmother, who was wealthy and soloist with the Mormon Tabernacle Choir, very cultured, had a side interest in others. So she would take me to the carnivals and to the sideshows and she'd make me talk to the man with no arms or legs and she'd make me talk to the fat lady and the tattooed man and the giant. One of my earliest memories is sitting on a giant's lap and putting my little four or five year old fist through his wedding ring and then getting that sudden shock of perspective when I saw him put the ring on and then I looked up to see how tall he was. My grandmother did those things so that I could have a worldwide view. She took me traveling quite a bit and so one of the places we went was San Francisco where we went to the Tom Thumb Museum and looked at his clothing and his chairs, this little miniature man. So that was probably the first element I think of my loving of um, the tattoo art because so many tattooed tattooing people in the early days in the 60s and 70s all came from the carnival they were the people who were you know the lion tamers and the snake charmer and the fat lady and the tattooed person the acrobat so those people became my friends when I started to tattoo and I realized that my suspicions of them being free livers and and being a family of others was valid. There's a great movie by Todd Browning called Freaks, and it's a story about sideshow people, and the closing line is, one of us, one of us. And it's a very tight-knit group of people. So I was very interested in that kind of 
association, but then I always have been interested in tools. My stepfather was a carpenter, so I hung out with him all the time. I was more on the tractor and riding horses when I was a kid, living in the barn and sleeping with the animals (laughs) than I was with, uh, you know, being in the kitchen cooking with my mom. So I helped my stepfather build our houses and our outhouses with uh, all these fun tools like a level and a, you know, measuring stick and uh, nails, all the different kinds of nails he had and all the different kinds of saws that he had. All right, so that's a real interesting sort of starting point, right? The farm and, and going to the carnivals and all that. But at some point, you're of an age where you're going out into the world. You're going to school and all that. Did you have it in your mind that you were going to be a tattoo artist when you went off to school? Or is no. that something that happened later? Never. I never thought of it as a career. It was just the tool that drew me in, the little tattoo machine. I looked at that and I wanted to know how it worked. And so I picked it up and that was it. I was off and running. Tell me about Shanghai Kate, the college years, if we were going to make a TV show. There's not much to well, say. you were Shanghai Kate then. You were Kate Hellenbrand. Tell, yeah. tell me about Kate H., the college years. Well, there's not much to tell. I mean, I was an English major and a dance minor. I was on my ballet tiptoes all the time. And, you know, I was just a study girl in Salt Lake City, Utah. Mm-hmm. Not much to tell. So there's no real bridge from like studying art and the craft of shapes and images at college that informs uh, your eventual career path? No. Really? No. Okay. It's just the tools. All right. So you're a graduate of university now, uh, still living in Utah. Take me to the point where you decide you're going to be a uh, a tattoo artist. Actually, I was living in Los Angeles and I was working for the Defense Department. I had a top secret government clearance <laughs> Wow! really yes to be a top secret typographer i was a typesetter and also a graphic designer and so a tech illustrator basically mm-hmm. so the tools again the exacto knives mm-hmm. you know the french curves the border tapes mm-hmm. that was what was fun to play with and so that fascinated me i was transferred from la one of two people who had the um, required clearances to work in Boston on a top secret project. Mm -hmm. At the end of that run, I moved to New York and became an advertising creative person at a top Fifth Avenue advertising agency called Muller, Jordan, and Herrick. Here we go. You're my people. You're part of my tribe, or used to be anyway. (laughs) Yeah. Before I was was in the tribe. So what was your experience like in, in the ad game back oh, in the Oh, I love it. What year should we talking about here? I was in Muller, Jordan, and Herrick from 1968 to 1972. So that is the era that is portrayed in the classic television show Mad Men. Have you yes. watched that show? I saw several episodes of it, yeah. Was your experience on Madison Avenue similar to what was portrayed in the show? Not really. <laughs> no? No, not Do quite. Tell. Do tell. Well, the women, first of all, weren't like the women on the show. It wasn't that female strong. The women on the show are much stronger than the women that were in the agency where I was working. Is that right? It was all very male. They yeah. all drank. They all cheated on their wives. Mm-hmm. It was a very powerful... That sounds like the show I was watching. Yeah. <laughs> very powerful. But yeah, but the women in within the agency weren't as um, cooperative, mm-hmm. let's say, yeah. uh, with the men. They weren't as vocal. And the show focuses a lot on the females in, mm-hmm. and the in the agency. And the men were running the show. 
but it was a very strong advertising agency. I got to be friends with supermodels like Lauren Hutton and Pat Cleveland. And we, we did advertising for Avon and head skis and head liquors. So it was, uh, it was fun. It was an interesting business. I worked really hard. But because I was very fast at what I did because of the training that I had with the government, mm-hmm. I made a deal with my boss that I could leave in the morning as soon as my work was done because I was paid on salary mm-hmm. and I could go explore New York City and I would call from a payphone every two hours and check in and see if there was more work for me to do. If there was work for me to do, I'd go back to the office. If there wasn't, I was still allowed to go out and play on the streets of mm-hmm. New York. Mm-hmm. One of the places that I went very often was the Museum of Modern Art, but also the Museum of American Folk Art, which was right next door. I discovered that I could make more money being a freelance advertising creative. I could make more money doing freelance work using the advertising agency's resources. So I solicited work from the Museum of American Folk Art. I was hired to do their permanent portfolio. And in putting that together, I discovered in the future they were going to do a show about tattooing. Now, my next-door neighbor was an aspiring photographer named Michael Malone, also known as Rollo Banks. Rollo Banks, once lived in Austin, did a lot of covers for the Chronicle. We started investigating tattooing on the streets of New York where it was illegal. It became illegal in the five boroughs in 1961. So any tattooing that was going on was completely underground. One Man Brand Radio on KLBJ. Shanghai Kate is our guest this morning. Thanks for talking advertising with me so much because it's my thing. But let's talk about tattooing. Let's talk about entrepreneurship. But we'll be back to pick up the conversation with Shanghai Kate Helen Brand when One Man Brand Radio continues next on News Radio KLBJ. You're listening to One Man Brand Radio with Ray Sagern on News Radio KLBJ. Now, here's Ray. Yes, indeed. We're back. One Man Brand Radio here on KLBJ. Shanghai Kate. Kate Helen Brand is my guest this morning. One of the purposes of the show is to shine the spotlight on entrepreneurship, the voice of the entrepreneur, and especially that spotlight on Austin entrepreneurs. So if you've driven up and down Guadalupe, you've seen Kate's sign very likely right there at what, about 45th Street? Mm-hmm. 44th, yeah. Just a little south of 45th Street. So Kate's been an entrepreneur here in Austin. And later in the show, I definitely want to talk to you about how you came to Austin. I want to talk to you about the business of what you do and advice you've got for young entrepreneurs. But in this segment, let us I want the listeners to learn how you became Shanghai Kate. And where you left off before the break was you were telling us about how you were working for an ad agency in New York City, and you'd stumbled onto Rollo Banks, Michael Malone, who uh, has some connections to the Chronicle and to Austin and to Margaret Moser, was his wife. I think I heard you right. After you dated him? Yes. uh, Michael and I separated in 1976. He was a photographer. Yes, he was a photographer. He was an aspiring photographer. And he uh, was documenting, and we were both documenting East Coast tattooing because it was illegal. There were no tattoo shops to walk into because they were all underground. And so tattooing was very different than it is today. There were only four colors that were in the business. There were maybe 300 tattoo artists in the entire country. And... We happened to stumble upon Tom DeVita and 
Huck Spaulding and Paul Rogers, who were the really the godfathers, the grandfathers of American tattooing. So we got in at the very top of tattooing. We were able to go document their work, meet them, hang out with them, and they were all sideshow people. Mm -hmm. So it dovetailed perfectly with my love of sure. sideshow people. Yeah, I can see that, yeah. And so I loved these people. So we were spending a lot of time with them, and they allowed us into their world because they were hungry for legitimacy. Nobody was giving that to them because tattooing was seen as such an unhealthy, dirty world and it had been it had been ruled by mobsters i mean al capone owned tattoo shops in chicago so at this stage of the game you're a documentarian a journalist if you will yes. you're documenting the scene the movement i can just speak to my own experience here in austin you know if you if you look at the chronicle or if you look at radio very often it's the doers and the documenters they they kind of start to overlap and it's blurry of of who's right. doing what and at some point you're no longer a documenter but you're an actual tattoo artist Walk me through how that yes. happened. Well, after we did the show at the Museum of American Folk Art, we sort of legitimized the art for these people in the first time that they had ever had it happen to them. So they allowed us information to come in. Michael decided he was going to be a tattoo artist. Now, the thing to remember is that there were no women tattooing in this country at the time. So I had no peers. I had no uh, mentors. I had no one to look up to. And in fact, I was discouraged heavily from being a tattoo artist. So tell it straight up like it is, because I came out to an event at your shop six or eight weeks ago when you had, what was the guy's name? Jack Ly Rudy. Lyle. Oh, Lyle Tuttle. Yeah, okay. You had a famous tattoo artist in, and you guys were having a back porch conversation. Maybe right. 7,500 people out there watching you mm -hmm. had this conversation. And you talked about this specifically about fascinating conversation, not just for the origins of American tattooing, but like tattooing globally. I thought it'd be a very fascinating conversation, even slash especially for a guy who doesn't have a single tattoo on. It's fascinating to me, the history. But in particular, and don't sugarcoat it here, why were women in tattoo shops before there was any precedent for them to be tattoo artists? Well, women were only allowed into tattoo shops to be sexual servants for the clients and or the artists. They could get tattoos if they had sex with the artists and the clients, whoever was there, the male. That was the currency that the women used in order to even get a tattoo. I tried to get a tattoo in 1972 by a very famous tattoo artist. I was already tattooing for a year and I was told I couldn't get it because women didn't get the tattoo that I wanted. I could get a bunny, a squirrel, or a skunk named Stinky. <laughs> That's what I could get. And I wanted a, a clipper ship, and I couldn't get that because that was what a man got. And I was already working as a tattoo artist. So, so how does a woman with no mentors right. and with no social or industry precedent, I mean, industry is even a weird word to use because it feels like yeah. it was a bunch of ragtag pirates it's making it up really as they go along. Industry, no. But anyway, but for the, inst there's no institutional memory. There was no precedent right. Right. for a tattoo, for a female. Uh, female tattoo artist. Uh, so, yeah. so how do you bridge those? I mean, that's truly pioneering. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm seen. So that's, how'd you do it? That's why I'm the godmother of American tattooing. I sat in the corner and kept my mouth shut and my eyes and ears open. I became helpful in every way that I could. I resisted any allusion to my uh, femininity, but I was also talented, I was also smart, and I had also done the show at the Museum of American Folk Art, mm -hmm. and that bought me a lot of credibility. In fact, today, if there's trouble 
For example, the bikers come through Philadelphia, tattoo artists out of the chairs, beat them up, give them plane tickets back to where they came from, steal all their stuff, you know, and they come in and they look at me and they say, you're exempt from this action because of who you worked with. Wow. So I get a lot of respect in this industry because of that. Do you mean present or past? No, I mean in the late 90s that w- that happened. Okay. So Surely that doesn't happen past. anymore, does it? Oh, yeah. Really? It does. Yeah, the cleaners... Yeah, there are cleaners that come into a town and will clean out a small town. That Well, the cleaners actually were at, at that time coming through Phoenix, coming through Salt Lake City, coming through Denver, Colorado, mm-hmm. taking tattoo artists who are there, ripping them out of their shops, did it in Philly, and then um, putting in their own shops and ruling the uh, industry that way, ruling ruining the business. Very mafioso, very, very. organized crime. Yeah. yeah, that's a huge segment of tattooing. Now, tattooing is all art students and, you know, uh, vegan, vegan and, you know, that's... It's a whole new world. So here's the thing. So I told you early on, I'm sure we're going to run out of show before we run out of things to talk about. And I don't want to skip over the really good stuff. But if I go back to most of what I know about your story, I learned on your back porch that night, okay, mm-hmm. and through mutual friends here in Austin mm-hmm. and through watching this documentary, Tattoo Nation. And at some point, I know you end up in San Francisco, and I know that that sort of becomes the bridge for how you're connected to... Sailor Jerry and Ed Hardy. And so if I'm not fast forwarding over any of the good stuff, maybe start to build that bridge for my short attention span listeners <laughs> about about how, how you end up in San Francisco and, where, and, and that part of your adventure. Well, actually, uh, Michael and I left New York. We were friends with Sailor Jerry and Ed Hardy from the very beginning in 1971 because uh, we put them in the show at the Museum of American Folk Art. So out of respect for us doing that, we were invited to Sailor Jerry's home in 1972 for the first tattoo gathering. When that was over, we went back to San Diego to work with Ed Hardy, Michael and I, and Six months later, Sailor Jerry died, and we were given the opportunity to purchase Sailor Jerry's shop by virtue of the fact that we had worked with him, that I had worked with him for about a month. So we bought the shop. We had it for a while in Hawaii. I left Hawaii when Michael and I broke up, and I went to work for Ed Hardy. And Ed Hardy had purchased a tattoo shop in East L.A. called Good Time Charlie's. Good Time Charlie's was a small tattoo shop that was centered in the middle of 27 warring Chicano gangs. You know, I was chasing people out all the time with guns and knives. Third night I was there, a man got his throat slashed seven times, bled out on our front steps. It was a war zone. But after I'd been there for a while, a 14-year-old boy comes in and uh, he speaks a little English, but basically he has some lettering on his hand that he wanted covered. It was gang lettering. It was a gang identification tag. And uh, I said, I don't tattoo 14-year-olds. I tattoo 18-year-olds. So I sent him away. And a little while later, he, his mother and his sister came back with him. And his mother, through the sister in Spanish, pleaded with me to please save her son's life because her 16-year-old son, along with his 14-year-old, had 
wanted to be in gangs because that was what young men in that neighborhood aspired to do. And so they had marked themselves, but they weren't in that particular gang. They were walking down the street and an opposing gang saw those tags and immediately shot the 16-year-old and killed him. So the older brother's dead. Yeah. And then the younger brother's asking you to essentially help save his life. Right. So I covered him. I covered the tag. This is One Man Brand Radio. Shanghai Kate's my guest this week. Kate Helen Brand. She does business on North Guadalupe there, but she's America's tattoo godmother now. When and how did you become Shanghai Kate? I worked with Jack Rudy in East L.A. Everywhere that we have that I have worked for through my forty six years of tattooing has been located in a Chinatown, in uh, New York, in Philadelphia, in Los Angeles, San Francisco, L.A., and Honolulu. Always in Chinatown because Chinese landlords would rent to tattooists. How about that? White landlords would not. But who gave you the name? Jack Rudy. Jack Rudy did. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's Shanghai Kate. She's my guest this morning on One Man Brand Radio. Half the show in the can. We'll be back to pick it up next. We're going to get some entrepreneurial advice for not just young tattoo artists, but, but business owners far and wide. We'll do that next when One Man Brand Radio continues on News Radio KLBJ. You're listening to One Man Brand Radio with Ray Sagern on News Radio KLBJ. Now, here's Ray. <laughs> All right, we're back. It's One Man Brand Radio on News Radio KLBJ, voice of the entrepreneur. We're here every Saturday. Find us online at onemanbrandradio.com. You can catch up with old episodes. And you can also find us on all the social outlets at One Man Brand Radio. That's good for Twitter. It's good for Instagram. Good for Facebook. Uh, look forward to seeing you out there. Guest this morning is Shanghai Kate, Kate Helenbrand. She's a longtime tattoo artist known as America's Tattoo Godmother. She's been in business in Austin for several years now. As we talk about, shift the conversation a little more towards business now, towards entrepreneurship now. I feel lucky today to have a one-woman brand. And we talked earlier about how when you became a tattoo artist, there was no precedent. There were no forebears. There were no foremothers in that industry. And as we agreed, you couldn't even really call it an industry at the time because it was just basically a a bunch of ragtag pirates and, and miscreants figuring it out on their own. How does a woman find her way in that as an artist is one thing, but as a businesswoman in that quote unquote industry? What was that like? Well, I did have some predecessors. I want to correct that because there were women who exhibited themselves on sideshows and then would tattoo as just a a novelty. And in World War II, there were a couple of women who were actual tattoo artists, Jessie Knight in England and Mildred Hull in New York and Painless Nell in San Diego. But otherwise, they had all died. They had all gone. And so there was no one really to look to for advice or ideas. So I had to take everything that I learned from the men that I was surrounded by. And that would be Ed Hardy, who's a savvy businessman. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sailor Jerry, who's a savvy businessman. And Huck Spalding, who was also the man who started the first tattoo supply company. What did you learn from those guys and what made them so savvy? What did you learn from them that has allowed you to forge your career? Because like any entrepreneur, entrepreneur to entrepreneur, at some point there's no safety net. There's no day job. You're either making this work or you're not. And, And if you say you learn things from them to make it work for you, what were those things? 
persistence, I think, and, you know, doing a solid job. Um, just the techniques of running a business in a clean, sanitary, hospital-style ster- sterilization process. That's what we all did. That was what we did. But I'm more metaphysical. I'm more metaphysical in my approach to business. I am, I think, striving to be authentic, striving to be respectful, uh, striving to follow my own intuitions, and that's what I always do. I travel a lot, so I set up business in a lot of places. Now it's becoming more regulated. Tattooing is becoming an industry. Mm-hmm. And regrettably, I think in some ways, to me as a maverick, I am one of those ragtag people. I am a maverick. So you just take care of the business part. The legality of it has to be of course, in place. But then I think what I do is more spiritually driven. And so um, I connect with my clients. This is part of the um, psychological aspect of tattooing that I learned from Ed Hardy and from La Palma, Jamie Summers, who was a huge influence in my life, who worked with Ed and uh, me at the same time at Realistic Tattoo in San Francisco. I think it's... uh, doing what needs to be done to keep the shop functioning on a high level. It's One Man Brand Radio with Shanghai Kate. So one of my favorite books, I make all my clients read it, is called The E-Myth. Michael Gerber, the E-Myth, E stands for entrepreneur. And the entrepreneurial myth is that just because you're good at the craft doesn't mean you're going to be good at building the business. Right. So what makes a person a good tattoo artist is not the same skill set necessarily that makes a person no. good at accounting and billing and invoicing or pricing or marketing or whatever. What's the hardest part of running a tattoo shop for you? Well, I, I think it's the numbers part the you know the accounting and all of that keeping track of the records so i i hire good people to help me do that <laughs> yeah yeah find the things you like to do and then farm out the rest right i shang i shanghai the best okay so shanghai is not just an adjective in your name it's a verb it's, it's a powerful verb and and of course it has it has cultural underpinning that we talk about pirates you know or, right. or, or that you know what is shanghai as a verb in the lexicon of shanghai cake mean so when you shanghai something or someone it is a manifestation of my desire okay all right so uh recently i well my shop is a magic shop like i said i deal in spiritual and uh, metaphysical world i believe in manifestation i believe in the source strongly i think that that's my partner in everything that i do mm-hmm. so uh, is this a higher power Yes, exactly. Okay. Some people call him God. I call him the source or uh, the universe, whatever you want to call him. It's everywhere. It listens to everything we do. It sees everything we do. I died in a car accident in 1989 and had a personal meeting. And so um, I had serious instruction from this Mm -hmm. source. Mm -hmm. The magic of that was that it set up the accident it told me exactly what to do in order to have the accident. Mm -hmm. Specifically, things like don't turn your blinker on, go straight. Mm -hmm. So that I would have a head-on, not a head-on, but I would get uh, T-boned in such a way that I flew over my steering wheel and broke the windshield with the back of my head and fractured the windshield, broke every bone in my body, serious accident. So I think that I have a personal relationship with 
entities that are above or around me. It sounds ooey ooey and it sounds silly maybe, but it's uh, I'm I have living proof of all of it. So I learned a long time ago never ever to trivialize when people talk about their connection to their inspiration, their yeah. higher power. Uh, right. Again, you call it whatever, their religion, whatever right. it is. I, le- I learned a long time ago not to trivialize that when I found that done to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, without, but this isn't about me. It's about yours. I'm not going to go off on a tangent about the incident. But uh, I will share a story uh, just right quick of a Canadian entrepreneur. He, he started this this fantastic um, uh uh, business. It's a, it's a chain of restaurants, a uh, uh, poutineries. So mm-hmm. I don't know if poutine, if you've been to I Canada. I love it. Okay. So, yeah, so he's got poutine. the only chain of poutineries across Canada. And he explained how the vision for, for it came to him. Mm-hmm. A, a person came and spoke to him. And when I suggested to him that, that I admired the mythology of his company, he took great offense that I referred to that as mythology. And it mm-hmm. was one of those moments where I realized, okay, you have to be careful with how you uh, deal with those subjects because people take them very seriously. Right. thing that you're talking about Katie would trivialize it in my opinion for me to even call that a mission statement because it feels very much more organic and not something that was cooked up around tables with a bunch of marketing it was squirmy marketing folks it was very specific mission statement I was told to teach and I said teach what and she said teach what you already know and so I had a three-year gap of trying to figure out what I knew, how I was supposed to teach it, and to whom I was supposed to teach. And then I realized I could teach by doing what I do, which is write and speak and share what I know to anyone who's willing to listen. And so I do a lecture called From Voodoo to Vogue, which is a, a history of tattooing it encompasses tattooing from the what I call the pale, dim recesses of the Paleolithic era to modern times. I probably know more about the history of tattooing than almost anybody else. But the lecture is fun to do. I sprinkle it with personal anecdotes. But I've delivered it at Columbia University twice, Lincoln Center, and various other universities and colleges. And hopefully... I'm working with a uh, corporation that may um, help me spread my message further and wider. I love it. Carrying the message. we got Shanghai Kate this morning here on One Man Brand Radio. We'll take a quick break, come back and wrap things up when the show continues next here on News Radio KLBJ. Listening to One Man Brand Radio with Ray Sagern on News Radio KLBJ. Now, here's Ray. We're back on to wrap things up now with Shanghai Kate. Kate Hellenbrand, been in business in Austin. When did you come to Austin? I think it was 2011. Mm-hmm. Fell down, broke my leg after getting off the plane an hour. <laughs> Welcome to Austin. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah. But you but you've run a nice successful business there. Mm-hmm. Uh, in in the last segment, we talked about you gave a lot of good entrepreneurial advice for people. So if you missed that, go catch it on the archive at onemanbrandradio.com and you can uh, hear the whole show. On the postcard of of yours that I've got, there's a picture of you and, and Howard Stern. Yeah. Tell me about your relationship with Howard. Well, I had to audition to tattoo Howard Stern. At first, I turned him down because I thought he was a misogynistic pig. Do you still think that? No, not at all. No, no. Then I did some drawings. Everybody in New York City and every studio did submitted tattoo drawings for Howard to cover a tattoo that he had. And uh, on the very last day, they came to me and said, everybody did it but you, so please, please send us drawings. Howard wants to see everybody's drawings. So I went home and I drew about six drawings, sent them to Howard on a lim- in a limousine. They sent a limousine to pick up the drawings. He was very enthusiastic about the work that I submitted to him. And so the next day I tattooed him. And it took about five hours for him to choose between all the drawings that I submitted. So finally I said, Howard, go take a piss. And when you're in there, you'll think which one you want. And so he came out. He chose the right one. Mm -hmm. He is the most insecure, most sensitive, sweet, funny Mm -hmm. man I've ever met, I think. He is really a basket case of craziness, but I love him. And on my website, there's about a five-minute blip of him talking about me. He he dedicated an entire hour after I tattooed him to the experience of getting a tattoo for me. So that was pretty amazing. And then I tattooed his wedding bands on him and his wife, yeah, later then he he sends me christmas cards and presents and he's just He's a sweetheart. Shanghai Kate, my guest this morning here on One Man Brand Radio on News Radio KLBJ. I want to double back to something you said in the uh, in the last segment. And be mindful of time here, okay? Because I think you could go off for 30 minutes on this possibly. Oh, but, yeah. But where do we get to is, is the two female tattoo apprentices that you have. Because you, uh, we, or, you know, last we were talking about y- your connection to your source, which you referred to as a female. Uh, clearly, I know you you're, you to be a feminist from us being friends on Facebook, if nothing else. Right. And then also in the history of tattooing where before there were machines, I learned from you that it was women who did most of the tattooing. Worldwide. But the thing I want to connect with, we could, like I said, we're going to run out of show before we run out of stories, right? But the thing that was really fascinating to me is this idea that you have a calling to teach and to mm-hmm. pass it down. Now, I know that in addition to you, there are three people in your shop and the third one may or may not be your greatest Shanghai and we'll get to that in a second but the other two are female tattoo apprentices and I've met them both one's named Zoe yes and one's name let me get it right Erica from America that's correct tell me how these women came into your life and what you feel is the opportunity and the responsibility the stewardship that goes with being someone's mentor well, um, there's a great deal of responsibility being a mentor, uh, you know, to be a mentor to people, especially in this industry. I'm approached daily by people who want to become tattoo artists, but it has to do again with the spirit, I think, of recognizing in someone the tenacity and the skill and the talent and the dedication to stay with this apprenticeship program, which is five years basically in the running. I ask them to dedicate their lives to me, and they do. I've apprenticed several people, several women. 
Uh, women, this business was ruled by women for so many generations, all the way back to the dawn of time. Globally, men only got into it when they could make machines that would run faster and make more money. And so that's when it sort of changed its whole direction. But uh, women being more intuitive, women being more sensitive, I think, and I trust that these women will be the ones that carry on. We have to see. If I've got it right, the fourth person at Shanghai Kate's Tattoos on North Guadalupe is your new husband, who you claim to be your greatest Shanghai. Say as little or as much as you want about it. Of course he's my greatest Shanghai. I thought I was going to shuffle off into spinsterhood with a cat. I had been celibate for 15 years. Wait, 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 wait. Say that again. I'd been celibate for 15 years. Why? Well, because I didn't find anyone who was, uh, you know, of interest to me. And because at my level of notoriety, I guess you'd say, um, I have to be very careful of, you know, what I do with my personal life. And I'm very Mm -hmm. suspect of people who come into my life. One Man Brand Radio with Shanghai Kate. And I derailed you from the story about your greatest Shanghai. Yes. So I was uh, celibate for 15 years, and I was uh, in my backyard. The winds were blowing. My shingles were flying off my building. Uh, My fence was falling down. My water main had broken. I was spewing eight gallons into my alley, and I just stood in complete desperation in my backyard, and I screamed, I need a husband. And the next day, there was a knock on my door. And I looked at the man who was standing there, and I went, wow, who is this? <laughs> it's very cinematic. Oh, it was he was gorgeous and just got some chemicals going in me. So um, he bought a book, and then he, I have books that I sell. And um, he came back a couple of days later, and he had uh, books that he had bought from Half Price Books of mine that he wanted signed. And every time he kept coming back, I kept hoping he'd come back again, and then he did, and then he wanted to learn to tattoo again because he had tattooed in the past. So I offered him an apprenticeship, just hopefully to keep him near me. <laughs> and uh, and then, uh, of course, I asked him to dedicate his life to me. And Because any any of your apprentices have to dedicate that's their... That's right, okay. male or so female. So this, this is the commencement of the Shanghai. Yeah. If we're deconstructing the anatomy of a Shanghai, this is right. the beginning of it. That's yes? right. Okay. All right. I said, you have to dedicate your life to me. And he said, I dedicate my life to you. He was very willing. And and so then it just progressed. And uh, so uh, shortly after that, he asked me to go steady, which was darling. Mm-hmm. And then um, mm-hmm. he proposed to me at the top of Mount Bunnell. Mm-hmm. And then we um and this all went pretty quickly for you lovebirds very quick yeah, yeah. matter yeah. of two months yeah basically and as you said on facebook famously kate when you know you know i know i knew i knew the minute i was in his presence he's right. the one one man brand radio with shanghai kate helen brand so just we're running out of time but i know you you travel a lot in addition to your shop here in austin you travel a lot do a lot of tattoo conventions yes and you were roasted so so we watch roasts on comedy central like and those things get pretty brutal oh yeah Uh, now remember this is a family radio show that we do here kate but what was that like being roasted by your peers in the tattoo community it was well at first i didn't understand why they were doing it. I, you know, they keep saying you deserve this, which I take as a double-edged sword, you know, but um, 
they were they were great. It took a little while to find the proper roasters for me, but Jack Rudy was one, and Brian Everett was another, and then I brought in two people that I know very well that I've sort of mentored in my career, Mr. Scary from Colorado and Travis King from St. Louis, and uh, Sunshine McCurry from... Um, the uh, Southern Belt and uh, Anna Page, who was one of my best friends, and uh, they weren't that brutal to me. I had a f- several standing ovations, but I wanted Scary to hit me in the face with a pie, and he was the only one willing to do it. And then I had an Elvis impersonator sing a song uh, from his Leo from uh, Las Vegas, and uh, he did a great song um, as uh, Elvis, Suspicious Minds. And then I was hit in the face with a, a pie. So uh, I thought it went very well. I was a little nervous roasting everybody else, but I got pretty brutal too. One Man Brand Radio with Shanghai Kate Helen Brand. You're in your 70s, uh, yeah. 40 plus year career tattooing. Safe to say that these are the glory days. Uh, you know, you have this terrific body of work, but so what's left to do between, you know, here and the end of your career? Are you, I have are, to. Are teach. you going to keep tattooing till till they put you in the ground? Absolutely. Or, yeah. And uh, hopefully, you know, I'm, I'm with a young husband. I'm learning to uh, get back into shape physically and take a, I have to address all the physical injuries that I have of falling down the face of a glacier 300 feet and falling into the crevasse and getting run down by a pack of wild dogs in Panama and, you know, breaking my back five times and every other bone in my foot and my legs. And so I have to, you know, I'm still pretty sturdy. I'm very healthy. That farm living really did me well. So I am uh, have a mission of getting better and getting stronger so I can travel the world with my husband and, uh, and also continue to teach and write my books. Shanghai Kate Helen Brand is in business here in Austin. We're glad to feature her here on One Man Brand Radio, Voice of the Entrepreneur. Kate, thanks for being here. Thank you so much. I want to it take a quick minute to thank the producers of my show. You got Paul Kriegler, you got Monica Ballard, you got Sweet Jack Anderson making us sound better than we would otherwise. And I'm your host, Ray Sager. Thanks so much for being here. And we'll catch you back here next Saturday for another edition of One Man Brand Radio from News Radio KLBJ.